Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? Will, I don't have to watch Mark Jackson on the sidelines for the next four years, so things are going great over here in Massachusetts. <laughs> He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst, general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana basketball Hall of Famer, true pride of French Lake himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's a pleasure to have you today. How's it going? Well, it's uh, good to be with you guys. Obviously, a lot to talk about, and uh... King's got a new coach. Good Absolutely. days ahead. Yes, sir. <laughs> In theory. In theory. In theory. <laughs> as, as Jerry uh, spoiled everyone who listened to this podcast, you know, obviously everyone else is living under a rock, but us three. The Kings have found their new head coach, former Cavaliers and Lakers head coach Mike Brown. Uh, just to provide a little context as to what transpired since we last spoke, uh, the Kings narrowed down their list of seven coaches to three vet candidates almost immediately after, our put out, after we put out our last podcast. Uh, those last three were Steve Clifford, Mark Jackson, and the aforementioned Brown. It came out through various sources that uh, Vivek Ranadive preferred Jackson, management preferred Brown, and in the end, it looks like uh, management got their way. Uh, in a press release today announcing the hire, uh, GM Money McNair stated, Mike has consistently demonstrated his ability to lead winning teams through his long and successful coaching career. He has worked with some of the best players in the NBA and is one of the league's premier defensive minds. I'm excited to bring his extensive experience to Sacramento. So Jerry, Tony, to kick the whole thing off, now that it is signed, sealed, delivered, give me your opinions on Mike Brown, Sacramento Kings head coach. Well, uh, I would, uh, I've been lucky enough. I, I've talked to several people here in the last couple of days that, uh, that I trust their opinion. And, and I think they trust me is where they, we, we talk about it, that it either had worked with uh, coach Brown uh, and, uh, in, as on part of the staff and, or in the front office, you know, so they were in basketball operations, so they had good insight. And so I, I appreciated talking to them, getting, getting their thoughts, uh, because I don't know Mike Brown. I know of him, you know, so, uh, but it would, it was, uh, kind of interesting and, and to a man and, and they said, he's a terrific guy. He said, you you know, he, he's just simply the top of the line that way. A good guy, easy to be around, uh, hard worker, uh, sh uh, sharp, you know, will have good schemes. So, so that was all positive. And, and, you know, and I have to say there was one of them that had worked with both Mark Jackson and Mike Brown. And, you know, so I kind of asked him the same thing. He said, he said, yeah, I said, uh, Mark's not near as good a guy to be around. He said, I, he said, I, I didn't enjoy being around him. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of things that he said, but I'll be honest with you. I think he's a better coach. Ooh, <laughs> okay. And so uh, he said, but if I had to hire one of the two, I'd hire Mike Brown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, you know, for what it's worth, it's just opinions, uh, opinions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but there's certainly, uh, yeah, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't say good stuff about uh, Mike Brown. So, uh, you know, uh, they got a good they got a coach they got a veteran coach an experienced coach a coach has seen and been a part of a lot of success so there's no downside with that 
Yeah, absolutely. Tony, what do you think about this as a, as a fan who uh, came into this uh, with a seven in mind and ended up with one that probably wasn't your top choice? Yeah, I would say, um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about, you know, Mike Brown as a coach later in the episode, but I'll just say my, my first takeaway when they made the announcement was that for the first time since Vivek Ranadive bought the team, the Kings seem to have a, a normal organization structure in place. And that was the fear with Mark Jackson. We had heard um, and another thing that happened this week was Joe Dumars left the team to go work for the NBA. And there was uh, rumors in that um, decision that Joe Dumars made that Joe Dumars was the one that was sort of driving the, the Mark Jackson train and that Vivek was also kind of uh, a, a fan of Mark Jackson. And that was his preference. So to see seemingly from the outside. And of course, all these reports, who really knows what's going on, but at least from the outside, from the fan perspective, from what we know, not being inside the walls, it seems like Mike Brown was Monty McNair's selection and Vivek and the organization not only let him make the selection, but also the dissenting opinion, I guess, if you want to call Joe Dumars, that is out of here. So Vivek doesn't have that uh, advisor. There's also reports that no one would be coming in to replace Joe Dumars in that role. So it seems like we have Vivek Ranadive as the owner, Monty McNair as the, the sole member, I guess, at the top of basketball operations, and then the head coach that he brought in in Mike Brown. Maybe it will uh, mean nothing, uh, but maybe we will see a, a standard, normal organizational structure and some chemistry between all of those parties uh, result in some better uh, basketball for the Kings. We'll we'll get to uh, to Joe Dumars here in a little bit. I have that uh, slated down a little bit further in the discussion. And and Jerry, I, I guess I wanted to to figure out here between the two of you guys, um, how much do you guys see Mike Brown raising the floor or ceiling of this particular team? Is Mike Brown just the most convenient hire, the guy that we know isn't going to make waves, and and you know he's just kind of the safe pick, or is this somebody who you feel like has something left in the tank that can provide uh, a positive to to the Kings enough to where they can push they can push to the playoffs with this particular team plus Mike Brown? Well, I mean, I, I do think he's a safe pick and, and uh, you know, whether I'm still not totally uh, on board that that wasn't totally uh, Monte's pick, to be honest. Uh, you know, in other words, it came down to two guys. Uh, would he have not been, you know, who, who knows uh, what yeah. anybody thought about Darvin Ham or, or Will Hardy or Mike D'Antoni, you know what I mean? It, 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 to me, it, it's kind of became that, uh, that people want to assume that and you can assume what you want to. Uh, but, but we do know it came down to two guys uh, that finally, you know, they, the Clifford thing was in there for a while, but that was just diversion, I think. But it, it did strike me that uh, it came down to two, basically one current warrior coach and a former warrior coach. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that, so I, that, there, that's why there's a little cynic left in me no, on, on, on the on the whole thing. For sure. uh, as to what Mike will do as the head coach for the Kings, I think he he's you know I don't think there's any doubt he's competent and and, and but with the current roster he's not going to win very many games. Mm -hmm. Sure, I hate to simplify it, but that's that's how it's going to play out with this current roster. So. But now that's we're all hoping that's not the roster we see in October, <laughs> and uh, it better not be because, you know, uh, this is this is a talent league and a, and a, a extraordinary coach can can make a difference. But we're, we're talking a few games, not uh, not fifteen. 
Yeah, I, I don't think anyone viewed Mike Brown as a savior when his name appeared on the original list of seven. And I hope no one's thinking uh, that of Mike Brown right now. This team has roster holes that were much bigger than their head coaching hole. Um, but I think the, the, the thing that would get me excited about hiring someone like Mike Brown is he's a very accomplished head coach who has, uh, he's a, a lifer in the league and has a very good reputation as a, as a defensive head coach, which is, which is certainly something the Kings need. And also he spent the last um, six or eight years with the Warriors in one of the better organizations in the league. So the, the hope is that you're getting not just Mike Brown from 2014 when he last head coached the Cavaliers, but you're getting a Mike Brown who is now better than that guy with all the lessons and other grinding and all the things he's learned on NBA benches since then. So that's, that's kind of my hope as a fan is that, you know, you're not just getting the Mike Brown that we knew you're getting a, a new and improved Mike Brown. Who's ready to take another shot as a head coach in the league. How much does uh, sitting on the bench with Steve Kerr next to you, Jerry Reynolds, how much does that, uh, how much will that affect Mike Brown? And like in that, in those six years as a, as a lead assistant, how much can, can Mike Brown really glean from somebody like Steve Kerr? Well, I, I, I think a good bit, uh, you know, I, I think with a guy like Kerr and, you know, he's, he's certainly been on the bench with, uh, several quality coaches over his career and that's to, to his credit. And, but to see how Steve, uh, you know, handles star players, uh, you know, basically, you know, his, his, how he handles guys during bad times. Uh, you know, and I, I thought the experience they had a couple of years, the last couple of years where they weren't very good mm. was probably good experience for, for the coaching staff, to be mm. honest, you know, to just a kind of a, a wake up call to like, Oh yeah, we gotta have players, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, because sometimes you can uh, kind of kid yourself you know, a little bit how easy it is. Well, it is easy with when you got the players they've had. So, but yeah, I think Mike, uh, I, I think in that experience has to help him. And you know, I mean, the Warriors uh, do a lot of things right. The organization does a lot of things right. That that I don't think that'll be lost on him at all. Now, uh, Brown won't be headed to the Kings until after the Warriors finish their season. Is there any reason uh, for, for Kings fans to be concerned about that ca caveat? Any, any cause for concern about that, Jerry? Is that a normal thing that would happen? It should be. A, it should be. I mean, he should be obligated to that team. They're, they're paying him. It would be no different than all of a sudden a, a player for the Warriors decides you're going to quit in the middle of the playoffs. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, no, he's a valuable, you know, in other words, I'd be concerned if, in fact, the Warriors said, no, nah, we don't need him. Go ahead. Sure. You know what I mean? That'd tell you a lot more than you want to know, I think. So, no, I, I think it's the way it should be. There's nothing great going to happen here for the next month. He, and they have phone system pretty much, I know, connected to the, the Warriors and Kings. So as far as, you know, what's going on with the draft or things of that nature. And, and at, at, at the end of it, I mean, Monty's got to be the, the de decider on the draft anyway. Uh, you know, you know, you always want your coach involved, but in general, that's, you know, it's just not the way it works. The front of the general manager has to make that choice. They're the ones that have the most of the information available. If you're the Warriors, how much do you uh, shut down information to Mike Brown? How much at this point, now that he's been confirmed to be the head coach, as soon as this playoffs over, how much do you stop sharing with Mike Brown now that you know that he's going to a, a Pacific division rival? Oh, not at all right now. Not at all. I mean, are they 
you're not playing the Kings next. No, one, no, no. Okay. So, so no, I don't think that that factors in at all. Uh, zero, less than zero. <laughs> well, there's people online that are like, well, is it normal? You know, is he going to have to leave? Like, are they going to, and it was one of those things I went, I'm going to ask this question for about the 15 people I've seen mm -hmm. that have been nervous that Mike Brown isn't involved in discussions with the Kings or is completely locked out of the Warriors. Now yeah. Because... yeah, they won't let him, they won't let him get in the locker room now. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a coach from a black box somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if, if Mike Brown, we talked about it from the Warrior side, it would be bad if they just let him leave right now. But from Mike Brown too, I wouldn't want the next head coach just kind of quitting on that team in the middle of their playoff run either. I want him to go finish the job out there. So yeah, there should be no issue with that. Absolutely. Jerry, is there anyone that you uh, can peg right now in terms of uh, assistant coaches or people that you'd like to see retained from the previous staff? Well, I mean, of course, I've got a, a bias toward uh, Doug Christie and Bobby Jackson just because I know them, uh, and I and not and, and I think they're good young coaches. So, so that was. But does that fit what Mike Brown wants? And I, I'd be more in the line of, to me, if you're going to hire a head coach, he should hire his staff. You know, whoever he wants. Uh, this is not a. Uh, to me, it's not a front office decision. It should be a coaching decision. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, they're huge staffs and I think a lot of guys could fit. So I would have no idea uh, who'd be best for Mike Brown, but I, I can tell you for sure, Mike Brown has a good idea who's best for Mike Brown right now. Tony, that's something that we saw in the media a little bit is that like one of the stipulations about Mike Brown being hired was that he wanted control of hiring all of his own staff, which I thought was kind of an interesting thing considering that pretty much every staff we've seen in the last 16 years has had one of the owner's guys just kind of slap towards the end of it. And so I'm curious, is there any of the, of these owner's guys or any of the previous staff that you'd want to retain? Like, I mean, Jerry said it, there are guys that I like on the staff. I think Doug Christie showed a lot of good qualities as an assistant or a, a next head coach. I think Rico Hines has, um, you know, it's hard to speak to his player development ability, but his connections around the league are so good. Every summer he's got, you know, half the league in his open runs. So it's never bad to have that guy in your, in your organization. If you can, you know, if that helps you bring anybody in. So, you know, the Kings didn't have a horrible coaching staff before, but that doesn't mean that the organization should be placing any of them on Mike Brown's staff. That should be Mike Brown's decision. And um, that ties into my, you know, my first comments on all of this is, if the organization is going to start doing things the right way, um, step one was letting McNair hire the head coach. Again, we don't know if he did or he didn't, but let's assume for the sake of the sentences I'm about to put together that they did. And the next step is letting the head coach hire his staff. So let's see that happen. Yeah, it's very important. I think, you know, I mean, uh, for, for a head coach, because uh, what, what he needs more than anything is certainly people he feels is 100% obligated to him. Yep. Mm -hmm. And anytime you have someone on the staff that's been placed there for one reason or another, it may, and it's not, not necessarily their fault, but it's never viewed the same, you know, and, and I, I know uh, some of the things that happened with George Carl and his staff and different things, well, it's just, it's just ridiculous, uh, just ridiculous. So anyway, just, just hope that, uh, you know, hope Mike Brown gets, you know, does get to pick the guys he wants. And, and, you know, I'd be very happy if he picked some of the guys I happen to like that, but, but I, but I understand, but I totally understand if that's not the way it goes. You bring that up, Jerry. And that's a good point that I remember when uh, um, Mike Malone was head coach of the Kings, there were these stories that like, Oh, 
uh, Vivek was trying to bring in or, or management was trying to bring in Alvin Gentry to be uh, like a lead assistant just in case Mike Malone got bounced then Alvin Gentry would take over and Gentry fearing that and not wanting that kind of drama refused to take the job wouldn't take the job and then later Gentry joined Luke Walton's staff and we kind of thought like okay how much of this is the same story just repeating itself and lo and behold that's what ended up happening so I can I can see where the Kings have a very obvious history of trying to undermine head coaches that there would be some tension for Mike Brown to at least get it out publicly that if he's taking the job he wants his guys all the way through yeah, there's no downside, uh, uh, you know, and I, I think that's where it's going to play out. Uh, you know, like I say, I think things probably are at least in the coaching area and coaching assistants probably head in the right direction for sure. More confident of that than anything. But, you know, like I say, I know some years ago when, you know, Nancy Lieberman was put on a staff, right. uh, yeah. you know, pretty much, uh, uh, you know, didn't have anything to do with whether Nancy is a good coach or not, but that, that wasn't uh, – you know, that wasn't the, the coach that George wanted. <laughs> and so, so uh, don't be surprised when it didn't work well. So, you know, that, that's what you don't, you don't need those, you know, especially with staffs as large as they are. Um, well, the last thing you need is some extra drama on those, right. you know, I mean, it's, it's really, there's enough issues a head coach got to deal with. And like I say, when you, it's kind of like the, the, the old bear Bryant thing in football, he said his last few years, he, he said, I, I don't even coach players anymore. I just coach coaches. <laughs> and, and there's a little bit of that getting to be in the NBA, you know, which I, being old school, I think it's a detriment, not a positive. You know, I think you could probably get by with six assistants instead of 10 or whatever, yeah. possibly you yeah. struggle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you guys have any opinions of the actual process that the Kings went through in selecting their head coach? I'll give a couple examples. Was it a concern to you that maybe uh, Vivek's, preferred, Vivek's uh, preferred candidate was leaked? Or is that water under the bridge now that we allowed management, that it's seemingly that he allowed management to make that selection? I've also seen someone like Jason Jones comment that the Kings themselves did a disservice uh, uh, by acting too quickly in hiring a head coach. Was the speed at which they hired Brown a factor at all to either of you? Well, to, to me it was. I, I just don't understand why you'd be in a rush. Uh, I mean, not that you wouldn't hire Mike Brown, that he wouldn't be come up as the best choice. That's very possible if you'd waited another two months. But to wait another two months, you, there could be other prospects, or, or and, and not even prospects, but just uh, – why not? There, there's, there's a process you can go through. Why not go through it? I mean, and making a few phone calls to guys somewhere. Uh, I, I just don't see that. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I mean, there, there's more, if you're going to hire a high school head basketball coach in, in Indiana, they'd go through a lot more process and time and background work and, and, and things of that nature than, than, than they do in the NBA in, in many cases. And, and so I, no, I, I'm, very unimpressed with, with the process and I, I personally, uh, not the product, but the process. Yeah. I, I don't know if the, if the timeline bothers you as much, I would assume the Kings at least internally have been working on this for a while. I think it was pretty clear. Gentry was not going to make it. I don't know for the last two or three months of the season, I would say the list of, of guys, while I, I kind of liked the list initially, how easily and early they dismissed some of the, I thought stronger names in the list was a little bit frustrating on the outside. And then I would say um, 
having, I don't want to like spend 60 minutes dumping on Mark Jackson, but having him come in as a finalist is also a bit concerning to me because that means you almost hired him. And, you know, maybe Mark Jackson could have come here and been a great coach. You don't really know. What I do know is that this is a very risky situation, as we've talked about since we started this podcast two years ago. The Kings are on the cusp of, I don't know, either ending the drought or, or not existing or continuing to go down. You know, we don't know what the end game looks like if this continues to go poorly. But to to be willing to almost risk it all with Mark Jackson to me is like a, a decision-making red flag. Um, that's just concerning that you would even entertain that as a, as a final two. Um, and that would be my biggest issue with the process is, you know, again, Mike Brown's a fine hire, not my first choice. I'm, I'm okay with it. They need bigger, they have bigger issues anyway. So we'll see how that plays out, but letting Mark, a guy like Mark Jackson with everything that he carries with him to go this deep into the process while eliminating guys like Darvin Ham and, and other good names that they didn't even interview um, that's the part of the process that is, I guess, uh, alarming to me. Yeah, the uh, the other thing is always, I guess, here again, being uh, the old cynic to some degree, <laughs> is that uh, you know it, it does seem like that by having Mark involved, you know, and and, and to Mark's credit, when he coached some year eight years ago, he had some success, you know. So uh, to get a job within two or three years would have been made a lot more sense, but it'd been out a long time and, 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 uh, and things have changed to some degree, not that he couldn't have adjusted. I'm sure he could, but I guess my point I'm getting to is that by having Mark and, and, and Mike Brown as the final two, the one thing it did do uh, for Kings and Kings fans, uh, is make Mike Brown a lot more positive of a hire. Absolutely. And, and you know, and, and I guess that's where the cynic in me comes in. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to believe that's just an accident, but I'm just not sure that is. I think we're three for three on that one, Jerry, that there, there is, I mean, you can play the X-Files music if you want to, but it's a pretty mm-hmm. easy conspiracy to believe that you put in somebody who you know is going to be a shit-stirring candidate and then you put in somebody who is Casper Milktoast in, in comparison and you go, oh, let's, you know, it, it makes Mike Brown look a lot better when you have Mark ja- Jackson as the other finalist. Um, I'm curious, do you, I mean, you've been a GM before. Is this something that other GMs that you've known of? I mean, this is a while ago, but would GMs in, in the NBA actually pull a maneuver like this where you'd bring another guy on a little bit longer or leak that he's around for a little bit longer just to make their, maybe a B candidate look like an A candidate? Well, yes, there's, I I don't, yeah, there's guys that would do that. There's guys that do a lot worse than that. So, (laughs) so yes, that's, that's, that's part of why, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not the, just a lovable little hillbilly I used to be, uh, you know, you, you see, you see the other side of life uh, too often, but yeah, there, there are those that would are more than capable and have been capable of, of, that type of thing, you know, I'm putting out, you know, out and out lies, disinformation about certain people in order to make, you know, get, you know, that type thing. So, you know, and agents get involved too. I mean, you know, uh, coaches have agents. And so uh, who knows where some of this, in, this kind of information was leaked, uh, who, who says for sure is come from the Kings. I, I wouldn't automatically assume that at all. Uh, you know, I mean, I, uh, I think that uh, that's one thing with, with uh, Monty McNair. He's been, he's been very good about controlling information that leaks out. I mean, not that you 
can everything, but I know for a fact that agents, uh, if there's some advantage to them, uh, they'll get it out. Now, I kind of want to go to the other side of this. Uh, as you kind of talked about a little bit earlier, do you know, I mean, or has there been ownership or would you, could you see ownership giving um, five names, or, you know, allowing Monty McNair four names and then giving their own three names and then forcing it upon Monty to go, hey, you pick from these three, but these are the three that we want. Because I, I think back to when Chris Finch was hired randomly in the middle of the season for the Timberwolves, it was reported that that was Monty McNair's guy, that Monty McNair would have pursued Chris Finch in the offseason had he not been snatched up right at the all-star break uh, uh, for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And so I think, okay, that's a first time head coach. That's a, a, a kind of an analytics driven guy, a guy that's never, you know, he's a first timer. And then you see that he picked guys like Will Hardy, you know, similar guys like Darvin Ham that had never coached. And then very quickly it got whittled down to three guys that had been there before two guys who had had multiple opportunities and, and, and made it made, you know, made hay while the sun was shining, but never were never quite a consistent success. And so I'm curious, Jerry, do you think that ownership would go, no, 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 we want that proven guy. Here's the three names. And we, we entertained your, your younger guys. Now here's the three names we really want. Well, uh, I would say a high percentage of coaches really uh, the owner has a, always has a, a big say in it. There's no, there's no team in the league that doesn't that doesn't mean in many cases else you know the owner might have a preference but he will allow the you know allow the gm to make the final decision so that's not unusual i always remember being you know involved with jim thomas and, and on a committee uh, to hire a coach and myself rick benner the president of the team and scotty sterling the director of scouting were all part of it and and i think our recommendations and i know mine was del harris we, we interviewed uh, five or six, seven guys. I mean, this took several months and we took several interviews. Uh, but then we hired Gary St. Jean because that's who the owner wanted. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's like, so, okay, well, that's, that's the way it works. Uh, and Gary, good man, good coach. Uh, was he as good a coach as Dell Harris? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think that's why Dell's in the hall of fame, <laughs> but, but, it, you know, but that, yeah. To, to, so to know, or even speculate on what happened with the Kings, I, I think it's impossible. Each uh, situation is different. Uh, you know, who, what did Joe Dumars, what impact did he have? Uh, Monty McNair, uh, obviously they, there's an entire front office, uh, uh, you know, what impact did they have? And of course, Vivek has every right as an owner to have, have some thoughts on it and, and uh, want to be involved. So, so that, that part, uh, I think sometimes gets overworked. I mean, uh, you know, it's just like where fans get, think that a general manager is going to get a decide on a hundred million dollar contract without an owner approval. Well, that's never going to happen anywhere. <laughs> and it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't. Uh, has anybody ever owned a business? Would you let your employee uh, make make decisions that could ruin your business? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so, so. Anyway, so that's a, that's around the the, the the horn a little bit. But yeah, I, I I'd have no idea. I I certainly think ownership was involved, and they should have been involved. Uh, now, I, what we will never know probably is exactly: is this the guy Monty McNair wanted? Did he want him all along? Uh, would this have been his first choice if they'd win another month? And it's all very possible, but that would be true. I mean, Mike Brown is a good candidate. 
very strong candidate that I think anybody that has an opening would have considered Mike Brown as a can strong candidate. So I'll just leave it at that. And all the, all the rest is just, you know, it's just jibber jabber by guys like us, but uh, sure. you know, he's a good coach, uh, how they got to it. Like I say, my, my criticisms are still mine and I'll stick with them. I don't know what the rush was, you know, sure. I, I just don't, I mean, you know, we were talking earlier, I mean, Jay Wright retired since, you know, didn't want to coach anymore. And then a few months saying, well, at some point he might consider the NBA. Well, yeah. what if he considered the NBA in July? Right. I'd like to have an opening. <laughs> <laughs> that's just me, but that's. But anyway. no, abs no, absolutely. Tony, I'm, I'm curious only because, uh, uh, Greg Wissinger uh, wrote an article today, uh, called trust the results, fear the process about, how the process of hiring Mike Brown has kind of led to him having less confidence in it than what he'd felt like that. It was more relief than it was excitement. And I'm curious after what, what Jerry just said, uh, how, how, how satisfied as a fan, as a, as an observer of the team uh, without, without previous experience in a front office, like Jerry has uh, how satisfied are you with this process overall? I obviously want to be optimistic in the sense that, nobody's paying me to watch these games. I want to watch the Kings. You know, I want them to be good. I want to enjoy everything about it. I don't want to think this organization is incompetent or shady or all these other words that we might've called them for the last 16 years. Um, so it is easy to, I guess, to believe that the process is good now because some things do line up. And at the same time, I think it'd be foolish to assume that that is, that those facts are true. Like, Wes Wilcox has a huge connection with Mike Brown. If we find out, you know, two years from now, that actually was Wes Wilcox who made the call here and Monty McNair is out. And now Wes Wilcox is taking over because they came up together in Cleveland. I think Wes Wilcox was even on Mike Brown's staff, but they were both young NBA minds that came up in the Cleveland Cavaliers system. So if we find out that there, there was some business right there, you know, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Wes, Wes, Wes Wilcox was obviously a, GM can't, uh, finalist when they hired Monty McNair. So there's still some weirdness in Sacramento to be sure. I would just say at the end of the day, what cures all of this um, interest by fans on the inner workings of the franchise and, and whatever weirdness might be going on with the organization is winning games. So if they win some basketball games, then we can stop talking about this garbage and stop worrying about it and just start <laughs> focusing on the basketball. So that's my hope as, you know, as a fan that I actually don't have to care about this stuff anymore. And until they start winning games, I will continue to care and build like detective boards in my house about, you know, who was it connected to who at what time. Uh, and until they start winning games, I'm going to keep doing that. But I hope I don't have to soon. It's going to be very weird when that day comes one day or another, because that's yeah. 40, that's 40 to 50 percent of our show is just the garbage. Right. Exactly. Just taking out every two weeks. There's some garbage we got to take out. Yeah. And discuss. Well, yeah. And you and you don't want to like Tony. I don't think you want to be like that. No, I, I mean, I really don't. I, I don't. I don't want to be a cynical old fart like I am becoming. <laughs> and uh, but it, it's hard not to be, yeah, you sure. know, and, and, and it's just uh, and I, like I say, it, it's really that simple. Just start winning games, playing better, doing better. And uh, and we'll we'll find something else. But but, uh, you know, and like I say, I I have no doubt Mike Brown can uh, coach a playoff team if, in fact, he has good enough players to get to the playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't think that will be a be a problem. I think he's good enough to do that uh, right now. The team isn't good enough to help him do that. Yeah. Sure. So back to the garbage. 
Um, there's another side that we haven't been able to talk about just yet. And this is what we've kind of alluded to a couple of times, each of you, uh, that uh, former Kings chief strategic officer, Joe Dumars, uh, has left Sacramento to become the NBA's president of basketball operations. According to Sam Amick's report for The Athletic, um, Dumars' contract was set to expire and he wanted direct control of all basketball operations in Sacramento if he was going to stick around, even proposing that general manager Monty McNair would directly report to Dumars in the new arrangement instead of uh, Vivek. Now, it's also reported that Vivek didn't share any interest in that sort of setup. Uh, but this is another one of those things that we're, we just got done talking about in terms of the garbage that, that isn't necessarily completely basketball related. Jerry, Tony, what do you make of this now second time that Joe Dumars attempted to wrest control of the Kings and then that it's reported that it was resisted by ownership? Mm. Well, I mean, I, I never totally understood and I don't think they made it as clear as they should have when Joe was hired. Yeah. You know, obviously Joe's a great player and, and had an outstanding career as a, a, a leader of the Detroit Pistons for a long time. And uh, so it, it seemed unseemly at the outset, you know, it, it certainly, in my mind, it was kind of like he was being brought in to take Vladi's job <laughs> at that time, much like Vladi was brought in behind the scenes to take uh, Pete DeLosanto's <laughs> job. And, and, you know, and I mean, it's like, you don't have to be, uh, you know, uh, a, a sleuth, uh, Sherlock Holmes to figure out there's a lot of skullduggery going on here. And, and uh, so it, all in all, I mean, I, I think it's a good thing that Joe's moved on probably in a better situation for him and the Kings probably, I don't know that what they're missing, <laughs> you right. know, what, yeah. what, you know, I, I think the Kings, you know, going forward uh, with Monty and his staff, uh, it's up to them. Uh, you know, it's up to them. It's on their plate. And uh that's the way it should be. Yeah, this is one of those things that, again, you know, it sounds great. Like, I want to believe that a dissenting voice or, or you know, a guy who was trying to, to gain power in the front office is gone, and that's awesome. It sounds good. I, I think my favorite part of that report is that, um, I think it was Amic who reported that, the, that Vivek has no intentions of rehiring for that position, which is great. Um, but again, we'll, we'll see if that actually impacts the process in a positive way if they start making better basketball decisions. It sounds great, you know, in, uh, in early May. We'll see if it still sounds great at the end of the year. It's one of those things, Jerry, that I'm curious because uh, Mike Brown is a good guy. Everybody that you talked to said that he's a, he's a great man. But ha and we talk a lot about culture in Sacramento, that we want to set a culture of accountability and some of these other things. But when you have an ownership group that has a, a, a GM in Pete D'Alessandro and uh, an advisor in Chris Mullins who – or Mullins tries to, to attempt a power grab. And, you know, there was that thing about, oh, maybe he's going to become the coach and then he backs out of it. And then Vladi was a, was a successful power grab that he was an advisor that then slid into the GM role. And then Brandon Williams is hired, who then tries to usurp Vladi at some point and it fails. And then Joe Dumars attempts not once, but twice to get control as, as, this, as an advisor. Is it possible to set a good culture for a franchise that constantly has these issues with these advisors, is it is it possible to have a normal operating franchise while at the top of the food train, it's they're playing Game of Thrones, they're just cutting each other's heads off and trying to vie for mm -hmm. the top spot? In the short answer, no, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> uh, you know, it's the old, uh, you know, at some point, everybody's got to be on the same page. And, and I mean, I think it's possible going forward. 
now, sure. you know, I think that uh, Monty has to, you know, basically and his, and his staff, they've, they've got a guy, whether it's totally Monty's decision or not, doesn't make any difference, really. He's, I'm sure he's comfortable with him. He's a highly competent coach that uh, everybody likes and trusts. So, and then his, his own staff, his front office staff that he's picked, uh, I noticed where Ken Cantonella was let go. That was one guy that really wasn't on his staff. So I, I think Monty's got his his people now. So uh, I guess if I was going to answer your question, I'd just say, well, as long as there's no more advisors brought on board, I'd feel I'd feel feel pretty good about it. Let's put it that way. Uh, now all of a sudden, if you know, if Chris Weber comes on board as an advisor, about oh boy, middle, Jerry, of, don't <laughs> middle, middle of uh, December, then uh, I, I don't know, fellas. I don't know. If I, I that might, sounds uh, way too possible. You know who's yeah. going to be, Jerry? It's going to be Mark Jackson. That spot is open. Mark Jackson didn't get one spot, so they're going to give <laughs> they're going to give the architect of the Golden State Warriors the sole reason the Warriors were any good. They're going to give him that top spot. Well, He's got an awful good gig where, where what he's doing. So I, I think that part, unless he gets, you know, another coaching job, whether it's the Lakers or someone else, you know, which he may, may, may very well happen. But uh, yeah, I, I just think it does seem to me like, and I'm trying to be kind of see uh, the positives here, but I think with Joel, Joe leaving and, and Mike Brown being hired, it does seem like it's a better path, you know, certainly here in May, uh, the the path looks a lot smoother and better than it did six months ago or nine months ago that i would say that you know got to see where it goes of course and now the the big work starts i mean as we know i mean getting getting the right coach and 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 a good coach well that was that's been done but now we know the real the real real tough part is to make the team better is going to start and you know, and we talk about culture. You can have uh, you can have seventeen glorified saints on the team if they can't play. You're going to have a losing culture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what you're going to have. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to move on from Mike Brown just uh, just uh, for the sake of other things here. The NBA lottery will be uh, it's a week away uh, by the time our listeners hear this. Uh, the Kings have a 32 percent chance at a top four pick, seven and a half percent chance at the first overall. Uh, now's your time, guys. Uh, anything you want to say or offer up to the basketball gods to get them uh, to give us a high pick? Uh, uh, you can sacrifice uh, anything you want to. You can you can light your your favorite jersey on fire. You can uh, you can promise to clean your room every day. Uh, uh, do you have anything you want to say about this uh, coming up? And uh, do you have any predictions on where you think they'll ultimately land? Well, it's a lottery, and uh, it's a, a true lottery compared to the way it was years ago, and so the odds. You know the odds of getting up there one, two, or three is pretty slim. Uh, and then, uh, who are you going to take when you get there? <laughs> uh, you know, if you somebody can tell me for sure who the the number one player in this league is or in the draft, I, I'm interested. I, I'm like a lot of just reading fans and different mock drafts and things, and I've got some thoughts. But uh, I, I think bottom line is that whatever number you get, make sure you get the best player there. And, and I think that's where you have a lot of faith in McNair at this point. And I think that the Kings, really, it looks like a pretty darn good draft to me, that there's going to be some good young prospects, uh, guys that should be able to, if you're picking in the top eight or nine even, you should be able to get a, 
a guy that could on this roster could play immediately and maybe not start, but could play immediately and, and show promise. And, and, and if you can't get that guy, then, then it's, it's pretty bad. But so I don't, nah, I, I just, uh, this whole lottery ping pong ball stuff. I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> 16 years of it's gotten you down there, Jerry, right? It, it has, it has, it's, it, it's absolutely broken my spirit. <laughs> Uh, if I can, if I can reverse psychology, the basketball gods, or or um, offer them to troll Kings fans one more time, I would say to Jerry's point, this is the year to give the Kings the number one overall pick because I have no idea who the best player in this draft is going to be. There's a you know a one in three shot at least that the Kings don't pick the best player. So if you want to finally give this franchise the number one overall pick, you might as well give it to them in a draft where there is no clear cut number one and they could make a mistake just as easily as they could hit a home run. So uh, that would be my, my offer to the basketball gods is that, you know, high likelihood they don't pick the right guy anyways. So this would be the year to give it to them. <laughs> That's an interesting pitch that it would be a punishment to give us a top three pick. I, I, it, it might be, I tell you. <laughs> It's like years ago when we got the first pick, uh, you know, got the number one pick. I remember Bill Russell and we, we drafted Purvis Ellison and we didn't even bring him in to work him out. Or <laughs> there you go. And, uh, home and, and, and you know, the, the, the truth is if actually Purvis had, had actually wanted to play and liked to play basketball, which was a big part of it, you know, uh, he might've been the most talented guy there. Cause you know, when he, when he, one year is, rookie contract run out he played in washington and went 20 and 10 for a year and got another contract never hit a lick after that uh <laughs> but you know good guy didn't like basketball so it's not not what you're not what you're looking for but 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 it's interesting that draft the best player in the draft was a 14th pick tim hardaway yeah you know and i i'm not at all sure we're not looking at almost the same kind of thing i mean sure. you might be down there and pick 10th and Benedict Matherin is your pick and he turns out to be a, a, a real star. I mean, I, I, I think it, it's that kind of year. I, I'm just not as sure that uh, the top three guys are going to, are, are for sure just going to hit the road, you know, it's going to automatically make it big. And, you know, I, I wish them well, all well, but. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say only because every year since the format has changed, the, the, the slot that we're sitting in has moved up in the draft. I'm going to say this is the year that we moved down on the draft. Like, it's very obvious to me that, that it's a reverse jinx, Tony. It's okay. a reverse jinx, but I can see it. I can see it happening that like every year, the, the seventh has jumped up to, Oh, you know, that's how, that's how the Raptors got Scotty Barnes. And that's how we're going to get the number nine pick. But I will offer this up that if, if we do get a top, we'll, I'll say three pick a top three pick, I'll shave my head. Mike baby bald. I, I you know, Ooh, I, I know that. this is, I know Deuce Ooh. and Mo, I, I know Deuce uh, shaved his head. He, he kind of wimped out a little bit here. I, I'm not going to throw shade at Deuce, but he did just take a clipper to it and shave it, you know, uh, fairly close to the skin. I will get a straight razor and I will shave my entire head. Mike baby bald. I'm going to keep the beard. So I look somebody like, like Paro Antich or something, but I, like uh, I will shave my head shiny Mike baby bald. If the Kings get a top three pick this year, that is my offer to the basketball gods in terms of well, getting this franchise. Well, tell us now, well, tell us who you're going to take then. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a whole different story. <laughs> right there. it, there's a lot of factors in that one, but we have to get to okay. that one a little bit later. Okay. All right. That's but, fair. Yeah. We, so we're a week out. We're a week out. By the time the next podcast comes around, we'll know. And I'll, I will, I'll have my head shaved. If that's the case, I'll shave my head for the podcast. Just, just no. in the off chance we jump to the top three. Well, I can't wait. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll shave your head too, Jerry, if you want. 
Well, actually, I'm about stage. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's roll over to our uh, anything but king segment, where I give Tony and Jerry a chance to talk about any other game, any other team, any other storyline in the sports world that they encountered over the last two weeks. My only rule is they cannot talk about the Sacramento Kings. So, guys, what do you have for me this week? Well, you know, I just watching the playoffs, which I which I really enjoyed. I mean. You know, it's the old typical things for the talking heads. It's like as soon as somebody loses two games, they're done. They're, they're they'll, they'll never win another game. You know, and then and then they win two, and like with Dallas or or Philadelphia, you know, it's like well, you know, that's why they have series and home games. It changes things. But but I guess the the thing I've really noticed a lot, and it was pointed out uh, on the show the other day, how like. To, in today's game, you have several players that actually dominate the more, ball more than any time in history. I mean, I mean, actually have possession of the basketball more than ever. You know, basically, uh, you know, with Trey Young, John Morant, uh, Luka Doncic, to just to name a few. You know, maybe that that those three guys are just off the charts as far as having possession of the basketball the most. Of course, James Harden, most of the time, you know, in the past, that, that same kind of thing. And, and and I'm not making a case of good or bad, but it, but it strikes me as a real it, it's it's not hard to spot when you're watching these teams play, you know, basically with Luca, you know, he's going to control everything on the floor uh, just about. I mean, he's a great talent and I love watching him play. And same thing with John Morant and. Trey Young in particular, I mean, but they have the ball all the time. So stats get a little skewed. Uh, so it's just, uh, is it uh, the way to win championships? Uh, so far, uh, we'd say no. Uh, doesn't mean it can't be. I, I would never, you know, pull the Charles Barkley and say, well, you can't win if you're like the Warriors, if you're a three-point shooting team. Well, of course you can. <laughs> That's, you know, you never want to say never, but I, I do think that as time goes, I'm just convinced that probably those three guys in particular probably need to have it a little bit less and, and, you know, and they'll still get their stats because they're great talents, but just have it a little bit less and be harder for teams to really focus on and uh, their teams might be better, but that that's it. Just a much. I like to like the playoffs. I, I, I really has struck me that we were getting into, I mean, and it really gets down to too much one-on-one -on -one basketball, really one-on-one -on -one two man game almost all the time. I promise I won't talk about the Celtics every week, especially because I think they're going to be eliminated by the time we record next, but uh, I've been watching that series, obviously Celtics bucks, my favorite uh, player in the league, Giannis against my local team, Boston. Um, the officiating in that series has been terrible, especially that last game. I don't know how that Marcus smart, three uh, at the end of the game wasn't a three-shot foul, even though I hate three-shot fouls. But that's not really what I wanted to say. What I wanted to say is I think Giannis had the best answer for poor officiating in a press conference that I've ever seen. I don't know if you guys saw it. You probably did. But they asked him about the officiating, and Giannis asked the media member, how much do you get fined for talking about the officials? They told him. He said that I guess I won't talk about them. I have to buy diapers. And I thought that was the perfect way to criticize the officiating without saying it out loud but saying I would say something if I wasn't going to get fined for it. Um, so shout out to Giannis for what I thought was a, a great way to handle poor officiating, which they have been very poor all playoffs. I know that's kind of Jerry's take has been railing on the <laughs> officials, but they've been bad, especially recently. And 
Last thing I'll say is uh, Giannis has been so good. He was so good in that last game that um, I'm starting to wonder where he's going to rank all time by the time his career is over. And I just say this, I don't know, this might be a crazy take for some people, but I think he's better than LeBron. I'm just going to say it. I think he's better than LeBron and I'll end it there. Well, I think he's easily the most valuable, best basketball player in the world today. If you, and I've said this before, as you guys know, if you, yeah. if you could start a franchise, he would be the guy you'd take without, with, yeah. I mean, it'd just be crazy not to. He guarantees you no. a, a contender. If he's healthy, they're a contender. And that, you know, that's what LeBron used to be able to do. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you. And, and a classy young man, what a, what a, what a good thing for the league. And, and, it's, and the league's got a lot of good, really classy guys, you know, with certainly, you know, Jokic. And, and I mean, I, I love Luca. He whines too much, but I still love him. He's a good cry baby. You know, he just bless his heart, but that'll, you know, that'll, that'll get better. That'll get better. If you'd have told me, if you'd have told me before Giannis was drafted, he'd end up being uh, David Robinson size with LeBron James's skill and 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 speed, uh, I'd have kind of laughed at you because he was he was kind of a thin boy heading into the league, and I, I'm I'm shocked by his development. Just I know it's easy to be like, oh yeah, he's been a great player for a long time, but those first couple of things, those first couple of years, he wasn't a sure thing by any means. And so it's it's one of, it's a great story. It's one of those things that like I'll always root for the guy because. He wasn't a, you know, a phenom. He wasn't somebody who we knew right away was going to be the best player on, uh, on the planet for a while. And so I, I'll never, I can't never speak bad about Giannis. I'll, I'll go with you on that one, Tony. Yeah, you know, and the other thing, the other thing there too is that, that Giannis and, and Jokic and Nash and Curry come to mind. Four guys, four of your all-time great players were, were not viewed as anything, yeah. even hardly special. Mm-hmm. coming into the draft i mean they they not only were they not drafted particularly high i mean curry was seven but but still nobody saw greatness true greatness and they didn't show it right away it took a while which yeah. uh, you know goes back to what we've you know player development uh is such a key it's not to say you know Giannis was going to be really good regardless but but i mean i i think probably milwaukee did have something extra yeah. to help helped him yeah you know, helped him a little bit. He was going to be great wherever he went, but, uh, but yeah, just a, a marvelous story. I mean, to me, that's about like watching that horse strike it rich win the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, who, who, you know, all the great horse experts and all that, and here's a horse winning him in a race on Friday and then there's a scratch <laughs> and they put him in there It's 21st spot. And he wins. <laughs> you know, that's what makes but that's what makes sports great. And that's why Mike Brown might be coach of the year and the Kings might make the playoffs. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Jerry, I will say though, however, uh, that horse was not a good sportsman. I don't know if you saw it after, but he started biting another horse and the jockey had <laughs> no. to punch him. So I'll say well, he's, not, just, he's not a Giannis type horse. He is he's kind no, of a troublemaker. <laughs> but yeah, he was trying to like gonna say now that's the kind of horse you want those that even if he wins. <laughs> That horse has got some dog in him. Yeah, he's got some dog in him. He's a little, little bit of a ranky one. Yeah, good point. He was feisty. I appreciated him. Uh, I'll give mine. Mine is a mine is a little sappy as I tend to do. Uh, the Minnesota Lynx opened their season against the Seattle Storm uh, last Friday, and during one of the commercial breaks, I tuned in to watch because a a massive uh, Minnesota fan. Uh, he's he's Minnesota everything, and one of my very best friends. 
uh, uh, pulled the classic jumbotron marriage proposal, and oh. uh, he had taken his uh, longtime girlfriend up there and uh, surprised her with a marriage proposal. And uh, I tuned into League Pass to watch it live, and uh, instead of a commercial break where I got to watch it, I got to see a static image of Diana Taurasi and and just some random uh, random music. So it came back from commercial, and I could hear the. I could hear the music playing, uh, going to the church and going to get married. And I could hear the cheers, but uh, we actually, everyone who tuned in to watch it missed it. But uh, the answer to the question was yes. And the first half of the game was fun. I did watch. It was a nice back and forth. Uh, the Lynx, uh, they lost by 23, which I hope isn't an indicator of anything else. But it was fun. And, and I, it was one of those reminders that I should really pick a WNBA team and start getting into them. I've been holding out for the Monarchs for so long that it's like it's it's become to the point where it's like I should probably pick a team at one point because I had a lot of fun watching that game, missing the proposal of my one of my best friends, uh, notwithstanding. OK, so, Tony, we're going to roll over to you. We're going to do the Patreon question of the day, sir. Thanks, Will. On every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons at patreon.com slash King's Herald. You submit questions to Will and I on Patreon, on the website, on Twitter, wherever, and we will ask them to Jerry either here on the main show or on the Patreon Q&A that we do once a month. This week's question comes from uh, Ryan Ritter on Twitter, and Ryan asks, Jerry, what do you consider the top metric to define success for Mike Brown's first year in Sacramento? Well, it's a great question. I mean, not knowing exactly what the roster will look like, but I mean, I, I think just in a simple terms, uh, you could, you got to win more games. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think just simply win more games. How many more, uh, I'd say if, unless the roster makes a dramatic change, I mean, if you won five more games, I'd say that's, that would be success. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not going to make anybody happy, but uh, with basically the same roster, uh, that would be, that would be a decent job. I think, uh, you know, 35 wins. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm probably like, like uh, everybody else that I'd like to be able to think, Come October, we see a different a roster with enough improvements to where you could say, "Well, well, Mike, we think you got a chance if everything goes well and you have the impact we hope you do that you could win forty games." Will, what's uh, what's a successful first year in Sacramento mean to you and with Mike Brown? Yeah, that's an interesting one, and I I thought a little bit differently than Jerry, only because like I, I'm one of those people that's like I don't have high expectations for the team next year. Uh, I think that it takes another year before. Brown can get his system fully implemented and, and, and the Kings understand everything, especially if he's one of the premier basketball minds, I'm sure that's going to come with a year of breaking bad habits, you know, where uh, De'Aaron Fox has some bad defensive habits and some of these other guys, it's a bonus. He's probably never had to play high level defense before. So I, I think what I would say is that if the offense and defensive rating is good enough where the Kings are above 20 in each. If they're a top 20 offensive rated team and a top, that's not a high. I'm just saying that like they were 25th in offensive rating and like 27th or 28th in defensive rating. If they can jump five in the offense, that means that Mike Brown's offense isn't so terrible that the Kings can't withstand it. And if they're defensive rating, they're in the top 20. I think that they win four or five more games that way. And it's like, okay, do I really expect them to make the playoffs year one? No. But if, if their offense is trending in a certain direction and their defense is trending upward, then, then I'll be satisfied with it. I won't be elated. I won't be throwing a ticker tape parade in the streets for a team that wins 35 games. But it'll be enough that the, the wins will take care of themselves if 
they can get top 20 in each of those categories, I guess. I would say playoffs. And I say that because even if I agree with you both that the roster isn't quite where it needs to be and they need to, and Monty McNair has significant work to do. I would be shocked if at the beginning of the year, Monty McNair doesn't believe this is a playoff team. And I would be shocked whether he's right or wrong. I think he's going to say that. I think the Kings are going to say that the playoffs are our goal. So for me in kind of a, the simplest terms, my metric for success with Mike Brown is if the Kings meet their goal of making the playoffs with him as the head coach. And again, I, I don't think the roster is good enough to do that in the West right now either, but McNair has had a high, you know, McNair thought he had a playoff team coming into last year, or at least that's what he said. So if they're going to say these things and I don't want to, I don't know if getting hopes up is the right word to use for it, but if they're going to come out and say these things that we have a playoff team, and this is a playoff roster, then you either need to go out and acquire it to make that true, or you need to make it with who you have or, or stop, you know, stop being so uh, boisterous, I guess, about the, the roster you put together and how, how good you think they are and how, how high your upside is, you know, start doing it instead of just saying it. So that's, I'm going to high, I'm going to hold Mike Brown, I guess, to the standards that the Kings tell us they're reaching for. No, I think that's what you have to do, Tony. I, honestly, that's a great point. I, one that I, you know, I'll, I'll try to be a little bit more positive this next, uh, this, this upcoming off season only because I am the tank master that didn't get his way. And so I'm trying to find some solace in the, in the in-between, but you're absolutely right. Is that I don't, I don't know if Monty Bignair survives to the end of his coach's contract. If the Kings don't make the playoffs next year right? and the Kings restart the cycle all over again, but no, I, I completely agree with that one. Okay. Jerry, let's, uh, let's go to the Reynolds wrap up. What do you got for us today? Well, I was just thinking uh, yesterday, of course, was Mother's Day. And, and I obviously at my age, I lost my mother some years ago. And I, I just like to reach out to fans and, and just remind you, if you still have your mother, uh, don't take her for granted. Uh, you know, I, I certainly regret daily that, that I didn't do more than I did. You know, more calls, more uh, shows of consideration and love. So uh, I think... Uh, you know, do it when you can, because I'm telling you, when they're gone, they're going to be holding your heart and it'll be there forever. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Jerry. I appreciate that. Guys, uh, for everyone here at, uh, at the Kings Herald, I want to thank you for another episode and we'll, uh, we'll uh, see you in another two weeks. Uh, maybe bald, maybe, uh, maybe uh, fresh haired after bald. all, but we'll, we got, we got, oh, a, we got a week to figure it out. Yeah, I'm looking for ball. I'm looking for ball. Let's go. <laughs> I'll be as bald as a ping pong ball, guys. So uh, <laughs> on behalf of everybody here at the, at the Kings Herald and for Jerry and Tony, uh, thanks for listening to another episode, and uh, we will see you in two weeks. Yeah.